Welcome to the Drug Lies Podcast. Today, the podcast will center around the backstory. How exactly did I find all those narcotics being stolen? Every story has a beginning, and that's this one tonight. I'm a watchman on the wall. I'm trying to speak the truth. You may choose not to listen, but that's all on you. 5, 10, 15, 20 If you follow the money But you won't find healing There's only death, honey Stealing and murdering for fix Something intended for the sick I'm just a watchman on the wall Trying to speak the truth But it's not what you think And you're a watchman too This is the beginning of my story I started actually off in retail pharmacy work In a small town in Texas called Curran's Ironically, that's the town where my uncle taught school, and I had many ex-boyfriends as customers at that pharmacy. I didn't enjoy it too much, somewhat on behalf of the exes, and mostly because of the town being laden with meth addicts. I transitioned to the hospital in a town nearby called Athens. There, I was trained by a pharmacist who told me one thing that I'll never forget the first day. He said, you're almost a pharmacist, congratulations. I'm going to tell you something that you'll never forget and someday you'll probably thank me for. He said that if I ever question something, ever question an order, question some kind of practice, that I should document it. And then he told me I should continue to document it and that I should document, 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 document. I think you get the picture here. Anything that I felt could be unsafe or I was worried or concerned about the drug order. So imagine that, your first day training in your hospital dream job, although not really the dream location, you're trained to document everything that makes you nervous and that anything you want to question. I actually do thank that pharmacist. Because of him, I documented and I continue to document. And that's the beginning of the podcast. Started in a small hospital town where someone told me a very valuable piece of advice that if you ever question something, question the truth, you should document it because someday you may find something else that goes to that document or that piece of the puzzle and it makes sense and adds more to your truth and to the story. I stayed there a few short, I think a couple of months. Honestly, they underpaid me. I had become a licensed pharmacist, but because of this error in printing and my licensing, I, I re-upped my license very quickly. They cheated me out of pharmacist pay a day and I got frustrated. So I took that job and I job transferred to a bigger hospital in Tyler. I got paid a little more in that transfer, and I got more action and a lot more experience in a very quick amount of time. So it was logical to go that way. 
The operating system used at those two hospitals was one called Cerner. Cerner is like a DOS cashier computer. Remember the DOS computers when you went to check out as a kid? Bulky, green screens, black, black screen, green numbers. That's basically what this hospital operating system was, Cerner. It was hard to document. It was hard to see YA as a pharmacist, and I didn't really enjoy it, but that's what I started on. I guess it's somewhat good to start on the worst system ever so that you can be more appreciative and much more cautious in the beginning. Cerner was interesting in that it charged a person or a patient on dispense. Epic, a much more sophisticated EHR, charges a patient on charting, which means the nurse in scanning. So a patient, if you have Epic, will be charged if they scan the wristband and then scan the drug, accurately documenting the time and everything that's happening. That's not what happens in Cerner. Cerner, at least how it was set up at that hospital, charges a patient based on the dispense of the product, not on the actual administration, which means if your nurse lost the product, unless the pharmacist or someone else went back and credited the patient, the patient would be charged regardless because they're charged based on dispensing of the product, in this case medicine. That plays a vital role in this story because of how I learned different billing and different operating systems. I learned the worst operating system and the one that had the biggest holes for fraudulent billing. In one case in particular, there was a patient that we dispensed insulin for, and we kept dispensing it because I think the nurse lost it. Well, that one patient got charged for all those insulin dispenses, although didn't get three. And then all the patients on the floor used that insulin, which is not sanitary, and there's HIV risks with that, free of charge. And so I, couldn't, I talked to the IT pharmacist, and I said, listen, this isn't accurate. Why are we charging someone three vials that they didn't use or receive all three? Then everybody else on the floor gets it for free. Why can't this be charged accurately? And the pharmacist got mad at me and said, you don't know what you're asking. It's impossible to do. And I said, what's that in your hand? pharmacist responded, an iPhone, why? And I said, doesn't it take a picture of you? Can't you Google anything at your fingertips or research anything at your fingertips? You have the technology to do it here. You don't want to or we're too cheap to do this. I was a new pharmacist asking those questions. I continued to ask those questions. I just thought I was at a dinky little hospital in East Texas that didn't know what they were doing. Little did I know they knew exactly what they were doing. The more dispenses, the more charges. It's almost like they encouraged the forgetful nurse because irregardless, they made money. When you're not making money, when you're making money on dispensing and not on ministering to something to heal someone, that in itself is fraudulent billing. Why would you sit there and charge something to someone that they never got? That's fraudulent billing. 
I don't know, as a new pharmacist, if I sat there and really understood fraudulent billing, I did know it was wrong. And in the case of the insulin, I was really upset. And I did talk to those people. I talked to management. They kind of just scratched their head looking at me. And I just was like, how can you do this? I mean, we Venmo people money now. I mean, like, this is the level of technology we're at. Why aren't we doing this in the hospital? And in California, things were different, at least at some of the places I trained. That's not to say all of them were, but a lot of them were. So that's how, I guess, the first fraudulent billing thing encountered there with the insulin and the charging on dispense instead of administration or call charting. Then I had another unique job there at that hospital. I had to monitor the withdrawals of the drugs from the cabinets. So there was a list that would populate. I was a new pharmacist, and I didn't ask all these questions of who made these lists, but it was, an, it was a job requirement that I check this list and that I look at the withdrawals by nursing and doctors and sometimes respiratory therapy. depends on the hospital I was doing this at. And I monitor the withdrawals and the administrations of the drugs, mostly narcotics, obviously. And if the nurse didn't administer it or forgot to, she had to correct that and correct the count. And then I had to email them this. And after so long amount of time, if they hadn't corrected the count and corrected the amount administered to the right amount, say they pulled a, a drug that was in a quantity of 10 and only gave two units, then they'd have to go back and say what happened to the other eight units. Did they waste it? Or did they give it? Or did they forget what, what was the eight units missing? So that report monitored that kind of drug levels. Did the hospital tell us what we're really looking at? Of course not. Did I know as a brand new pharmacist that I was sitting there making sure that the nurses administered everything that patient got charged for? No. Did someone sit there and tell me that that's what I was doing? No. That's the level of secrecy here. We're talking about they're not cluing in key vital staff because they don't want to clue us in. Because at the end of the day, the bottom line is they make money. So after a period of time, if the nurse didn't correct this count, or the doctor or other provider, sometimes respiratory, they really liked albuterol, I would have to remove their privileges so they couldn't get into the drug cabinet, in this case, Pixis. There's a couple different kinds of drug cabinets. Think of it like what you store your clothes in, but a sophisticated machine that calculates how many drugs are in there based on what you tell it. And it also knows how many users go into it based on the user IDs. And it monitors what they pull out, the time they take to pull out, and do they override anything. That's how sophisticated this machine is. I built those machines eventually later down the road in this story. And that's where things even get more interesting. In these hospitals, mostly the ones I worked at, we dealt with Pixis. The other major drug dispensing cabinet is called OmniCell. I haven't really worked with those, so we won't be mentioning those very often in this podcast because I haven't really been exposed to them. But at the Pixis level, I ended up converting all the Pixmas machines for the hospital that fired me. I did that during the pandemic. 
I did it in a nearly 300-bed hospital. I was one of the few that was able to f complete that task in such a tragedy as we were occurring. So those drug dispensing cabinets play a vital role in this. So does the IT technology. It's really the crucible behind this whole story, along with the nurses stealing drugs and the doctors unaware and the doctors sometimes involved. So that's the backstory on fraudulent billing and the guy who trained me and told me to document. So that explains this podcast and why I did go on to document so many darn things. I mean, like, we're talking about a lot of documentation, guys. Again, most of it was for my own sanity, because at one point I did think that no one was believing me. So I need to document so the truth is known. So document I did. After UTMC, I moved over to Trinity Mother Francis, which happened to be across the street. Ironically, being across the street, somehow they were able to afford me nearly $10 an hour raise, so it was pretty easy for me to make the decision to go there. I was warned that I was selling my soul there, and that the hospital staff at UTMC really did not much like the hospital staff across the street. It was a very odd situation, especially since there were two hospitals that literally were across the street from each other, and it wasn't a very big town. It was almost like a football association where you have two teams in town on the line of bordering, and they're really mortal enemies. That's how Trinity Mother Francis was in ETMC, mortal enemies. One of the weirdest things is, this is a sidebar note, most patients came in to get their STD tested at the Catholic hospital, and not as much at ETMC, or we just didn't see as much STDs on that shift. It did seem like an inordinate amount towards the Catholic hospital. Trinity Mother Francis had a very interesting case of an angel of death nurse. He was arrested about when I was working one day. I don't know if it was that exact day, but all I do remember is management coming down and telling us if we got a news reporter phone call to pharmacy to keep mums the word about the angel of death nurse. I really didn't know much about it. I'd heard some gossip that some patients had been dying in the CVICU, and it was kind of older gossip. Some had recently died. Some was a year before I was even there, a year before I think I was a pharmacist. But nonetheless, one of the pharmacists working that evening told me to research the story about two nurses that died of an overdose in Dallas, and he grunted begrudgingly kind of joked and said, well, now we have an angel of death nurse, and then two nurses died from stealing narcotics. I don't know what's going wrong with all the nurses, but they're killing everyone and themselves. So I had to read that news story. It was in the Dallas Morning News. It was something very interesting. I read it. I remember it. And it was one of something that stuck with me. I remember also there was a lot of narcotics that were stolen in that story. I didn't think much about it, but I remember reading some of this content and thinking, wow, what a lot of narcotics. And then the nurses died on their shift. I'm surprised pharmacy, like, didn't notice the drugs being stolen. I mean, I thought it was funny, but it was just kind of all odd, too. There's something about that article. 
I just always remembered it, and I don't know exactly why, but in that circumstance, the angel of death nurse at Trinity Mother Francis, and then that night where one of my co-workers said to watch and read that article. I'll never forget that, because that article will become crucial. I'll find out later that those drugs stolen were stolen by nurses, and then the person who reported it will be my future boss. That man will go on to fire me for He will fire me for reporting 17 times in the narcotic theft I saw. It's a little ironic. Here we have this future boss in one article reporting narcotic theft. Then when his pharmacist, me, reports it to him, he fires me. It's not too hard to figure out. There's clearly a sticky finger situation happening. But that's just what the future had to hold. And when I was a brand new pharmacist at Trinity Mother Francis, I didn't even know that was going to happen. That's how crazy this story is. It's like little pieces of the puzzle were always in my life. And then they were leading and piecing together in a puzzle. As I say, I think by God to finding all these narcotics being stolen and the very corrupt system. Let's focus on that corruption for a little bit. In my hospital career, in Tyler, I'm not going to say what hospital, there'll be a baby that's overdosed on cosentropin. Nothing happened to the baby, at least not during that stay and during the overdose. Does the baby have long-term effects? I'll never know. I still think of the baby because I found the error in the cosentropin. What happened is the order for this hormone, cosentropin's a hormone, was placed by a resident physician, being a physician trained. The physician training picked the wrong order set. And you're going, what the heck is an order set? Think of it like a recipe book. So he picked the wrong recipe to make this ingredient, essentially a hormone compound. So he picked the adult recipe book instead of the infants, because this is a NICU baby that will be overdosed twice. He picks the order, picks the wrong recipe book, puts it in for the adult formula. There's a warning in Epic, because it turned this hospital used Epic, which was more sophisticated than Cerno that we talked about earlier. So Epic gave a warning saying that the dose for this hormone, cosentropin, couldn't be made from the available product, being this recipe, meaning that the dose and the solution was way too concentrated to make the little small baby NICU dose. This warning was overrode by two pharmacists. The baby was given the product hundred times too concentrated a hormone. From what I remember, no response happened, and then we ordered the hormone again. By we, I mean the doctor. Unfortunately, they ordered the wrong recipe again, and the warning, this dose could not be made from this product, saying that the stock solution was too concentrated to make such a small baby NICU dose was overrode again by two pharmacists, made and prepared and administered to the baby. 
On day three, sometime in the morning, I'm checking this order, and I see it. I see this big red stop sign, which is epic if you see this big red stop sign in an order history. That means that there was a glitch of some sort, and it was overrode. That's how sophisticated Epic was. You can find glitches and see overrides and follow the whole data trail to understand what's going wrong. And I read it and it said the dose can be made from the available product. I remember putting in the order again and testing it on the test patient, seeing what would happen. And I see the warning saying it's too concentrated. Then I realize... The resident physician picked the adult recipe instead of the infants, and that the stock would have never been able to go to that solution because it was entirely too concentrated for an adult patient when we were giving just a fraction of the dose for NICU. I couldn't believe what I saw. I went to management and talked to him, and I said, what is going on? We have four separate pharmacists that overwrote this. This is a failure of the system and the baby. What will happen to the baby? This is a hormone. Hormones enter in your body a long time. They, I mean, think about testosterone. Think about birth control. Think about your hormones. It takes a long time for those things to A, kick effect. B, they have long-term effects. C, everyone's trying to become another sex now and giving themselves hormones and succeeding. This is hormones at their core. And you overdosed an infant Giving, giving them this wrong amount of hormone, and then you don't tell the kid? I was furious. It was too much. That on top of that hospital making me work 96 hours nearly. By going to work at overnight, although I was an overnight pharmacist, and then going to my other job in the hospital system that would go to fire me, I worked for them nearly four years. I worked for them during this time between these two hospitals. And when they put me through that, and then this cosentropin, that's all I could take out in East Texas. I said this was enough. We were out here. They were not concerned about patients. This was not adequate care. And I blamed it on being in the small town. I didn't think about the egregious practice. I mean, I did, but I didn't sit there and go and... I didn't really sit there and think about how horrible that was. Although the dose for that baby was the reason I left on top of oh, being overworked out there. But I'm not sure that I really sat and thought, this is egregious practice and that we should absolutely tell that child. I was still a new pharmacist. But it did concern me, and I did leave after that. And I stated that as the reason I couldn't take it. And that I wanted to let the family know what really happened. By this time, I'd had an interview with a hospital in Fort Worth with a pharmacist. On the way there, I prayed to God. I begged him. I said, please, I'm very unhappy here. They overdosed the baby. They're working me all the time. I'm depressed. I'm not a depressed person. And I need to get out. And I need you to give me this job. I need to leave here. I'm suicidal here, and I was. And I don't say that lightly. But I didn't. I wasn't happy. It was mostly because of sleep-deprived. 
and the system I was working for. For a very short time, before I took that job in this Fort Worth, I worked at a rehab, less than a month. It was associated to the Catholic hospital. Why did I work there so short? Turns out people were stealing drugs there. I had a weird practice that every morning I had to rush and deliver all the narcotics to the Pixis in the small rehab hospital. And I never had to deliver narcotics over technicians anywhere I had ever worked. Now I'd worked retail. I'd have had two hospitals experience under my belt when I took this short stint for a month. And I asked my tech one day, why in the God's name am I running around in the morning delivering narcotics when you go and deliver, you know, laxatives in the afternoon to the same machine? Tech told me that Someone had been stealing narcotics, and how it was the pharmacist's responsibility to stock the Pixesses. That rehab hospital, we had Cerner. Can't be seen much in Cerner, not the medical chart, and I don't exactly know who stole drugs there. I didn't learn too much. I really didn't like the job and the environment, and once I heard there was a narcotic mouse, I was ready to leave. I had already been ready to leave since the big hospital and the baby overdosing. So when I got that call to take that job in the city of Fort Worth to work for the hospital system, I was enjoying as my second job and making, again, nearly $10 an hour more. I gladly took it. It was smart. I was moving forward. It's a better hospital system, more protocols. The city would not have such care. The city would be good. The city would know good medicine because they practice more because of a larger population. They'd have better doctors because they could attract better doctors. And it was the city. So things would be better. The Lord answered that prayer and gave me the job. In fact, by the end of the interview, the pharmacist director said, I'm hiring you now. I was vetted by that job by the new director of that hospital, same hospital system in Kaufman where I worked. He would play a vital role in this story. He will be one of the only ones that ever helped me when I decided to cut, keep talking about narcotic theft. I forever thank him for that because most of the pharmacists couldn't be bothered and told me that I didn't know the politics. Next time on the Drug Callias, we'll learn about old school narcotic theft from my father who's a pharmacist. And he's going to tell you a few prime examples of what and how they used to steal drugs back in the day. It'll center around the 70s and 80s and his time at REFCO. Thank you for tuning in.